the Banner 18 Podcast with Patrick Gilroy and Josue Pavone. It is another edition of the Banner 18 Podcast. Patrick Gilroy, Josue Pavone, episode number four, Josue. Do oh, you know, we're stacking them up right now. There we go. But do you know what generally happens on a fourth date? <laughs> what are we is doing here? Something's doing so well. Is that what it is? <laughs> We're recording this thing around one o'clock in the morning. It's a fourth date. What's happening here? It's it's banana land. If you're a Celtics fan, the Celtics have now won eight consecutive games. And and look, Joe Sway, taking these calls on the air, doing doing late night. There seems to be two distinctly different groups of Celtics fans right now. So I want to get sort of your feelings on where you think this team is at. You got the one group that I think that I fit in. I am just massively relieved after their 10 and 10 start and everything that this team sort of went through, all the noise, all of the BS, all of the excuse making, all of the false starts. You know, you think back to the Bucks game, you think back to the Toronto overtime win, even opening night against the Sixers, all false starts. The team never was able to get any sort of momentum. Now, I mean, they're halfway to 16, which was their winning streak last year. I know the competition isn't world beaters, but Eight games, eight games. It's got to mean something, doesn't it? Yeah, the way they're doing it, that's why it means something. I mean, they're averaging 125 points a night throughout this stretch. I mean, <laughs> that's ridiculous. You can say what you want about no one playing defense in the NBA, but, I mean, that just speaks for itself, Patrick. To, to be able to do that, for to sustain that level of offensive production throughout eight games, I mean, it's one thing to do it for a couple of games, but they're consistently doing it, and they're just – you're seeing their opponents, like, it's like a, they're they're deflated at stretches during the game. And it's like, that's the Celtics team that we've, we, we got accustomed to, you know, when they were really in their stride last season throughout that tremendous, what was it, 16-game winning streak right yep. after Gordon Hayward went down. We're seeing that again right now. And it's happening just at the right moment. One of the things that really drove fans crazy, and I'm sure it drove Brad Stevens crazy throughout that first 20 games of this season where they wound up 10-10 and 10 and haven't lost since then. Uh, but one of the things, one of the identifying characteristics of this team, unfortunately, was... They had a tendency to start slow, mm-hmm. and you know there were suddenly a, a 10, 12, 16-point deficits seemingly night in and night out, and nobody loves a great comeback like me, and Kyrie is just talented enough to pull off some of those with some hero ball. But the Celtics weren't starting these games the way that they were supposed to, and now it seems like they're coming out and stepping on the throats of their competition immediately in that first quarter. How did they flip that switch from a team that seemingly was apathetic to start games more or less waiting to get punched in the face before responding, and then suddenly transitioning into a team that's doing the punching. You're seeing what Marcus Smart is able to do on both ends of the floor, for starters, right? I'm not going to give him all the credit here, but he does have a big chunk of credit due to him. You know what I mean? Like What he was able to do as a playmaker, I just think we overlooked that. Obviously, we know what he does defensively, but I just think offensively, just everyone is clicking. And they look like the best starting lineup in the NBA. And this is a starting lineup that we didn't think we would see. You know, Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart both in it. And I just think that it's just made all the difference. It's the biggest reason why they don't fall behind. It's the biggest reason why they're able to punch teams in the mouth from the start and essentially build this lead. And now they're on the other side, on the on the right side of things, of building a, a strong double-digit lead, and they don't give it back as easily as we've seen in the past. You would think that after eight consecutive wins and, uh, you know, by the time this thing hits the website, uh, we're not sure. So this is Friday night and the Celtics, they'll be playing Saturday night, a difficult road game against Mm. what is a playoff team, second night of a back-to-back in Detroit. That's going to be one of those games where it's the first one of these little mini measuring stick games. Uh, Then they'll have an 
quote-unquote easier game, a revenge game against the Suns. Then things get real again with Milwaukee and then the Christmas Day game Mm. against the Sixers. So by this time two weeks from now, I feel like we're going to have a much better idea of exactly how Mm. far this team has come. Definitely, and we're going to have a better idea as as to how legit is the starting five, right, Patrick? I mean, like, a lot of people, you know, this is not just the local media, but a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, well, this is the adjustment that they're going to make, you know, temporary fix, and in the long run, we'll see Gordon Hayward back in the starting lineup. In the long run, maybe we'll see Jalen Brown back in the starting lineup, or maybe we won't. If you ask me, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I just think the starting lineup is clicking, and they're finding a level of focus that we're not going to see Brad Stevens shake things up, or we're not going to be able to see the same if he just puts another starting five together. I just think he's he's found it. Like this is it. This is legit. Marcus Morris is legit, putting up what twenty plus points and making it look easy. Just splashing threes left and right. Remember we were worried about his shot selection. Yeah. It's looking pretty damn good right now, isn't it, Patrick? I mean, the guy's shooting over fifty percent out there. When you're a gunner and they all go in, I mean, it, you're gonna look good. <laughs> you look really good, right? But gunners generally aren't consistent, and I think that's what's that's true. That's Very been the true. difference in his game this year. Right. I, instead of this happening every third or fourth game, like it happened last year. I mean, he had great games last year, but he didn't have back-to-back great games. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And this year, the difference with him is he's doing it night in and night out. Exactly. I'll be really curious to see, and we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves here, but curious to see if he finds a way to sustain this and the Celtics go on a prolonged playoff run and, you know, at the end of this thing, whether the Celtics lose in the conference finals, lose in the second round, lose in the finals, or win the championship, no matter what, if Marcus Morris plays at this level from now until June, is he due to get paid, or are people still going to look at him like kind of a fluke? He's due to get paid. You think so? Yeah. I just – I hate to say it. I don't think it'll be here, though. I just don't. I mean, he can he can command a lot more money than someone like Marcus Smart, put it that way, because of his offensive production. I just think regardless of how you feel about a guy like Marcus Smart compared to a guy like Marcus Morris, what those guys mean to a championship-caliber team, I think in the NBA, if you're able to score at a high level, if you're a shooter, if you can defend, do both, but specifically score and shoot, shooters get paid, Patrick, in this league. You know, that's the biggest reason why Marcus Smart didn't get that 17, 18 million that some people thought that he would get per year. It's because you just don't command that type of money if you can't shoot at a consistent level and produce 16, 17 points a night. If Marcus Morris keeps this up for the next two or three weeks, we're talking about an all-star. Don't call me crazy, listeners. Okay, that, that's that's crazy. That is crazy. You are like, crazy. If he's able to, keep who's going to put him on the All Star team? Is he even on the ballot? Like, I mean, he's going to make that ballot. <laughs> Who are you putting in front of? The coach him? is going to put him in. Is that what's going to happen? And, and, hey, listen. This coincides with how the Celtics do. Obviously, we're looking ahead a bit. But if if in two weeks the Celtics sustain a level of success, let's say they drop one or two, maybe three games, whatever the case may be, if they find themselves back in that top tier of the Eastern Conference, and they find themselves as a top three team in the Eastern Conference. Kyrie Irving is obviously a no-brainer as an all-star selection. But if this team is in the second is in second place or, or challenging the Raptors for first place come all-star break or close to it when the, when the, when the teams are announced, that second all-star is Marcus Morris. It's not Jason Tatum. It's not Al Horford. I mean, who else is it, Patrick? It's it's Marcus Morris. Is, is Kyrie Irving going to be the lone all-star if you're the second-best team in the Eastern Conference? He could be because when you look at the mm. Celtics team, the one thing that I will say that I like about them is there's this maturity level that I wasn't sure was going to exist here, especially from what we saw during that 20-game stretch to start the season. It seems like everybody 
is now able and willing to accept their role, whether that role is reduced or whether that role is inflated. Meaning you look at a guy like Gordon Hayward. Now, Hayward started the season as a starter, and you could tell that Brad Stevens really wanted him to it to work out as a starter. He probably held on a little bit too long. There's the personal relationship there. There's the fact that you just feel for the kid after all the work that he put in to come back. You really wanted to see him sort of flourish. The documentary, and, the series, the it, And it didn't tribune. happen, yeah, right. right? So now the, the Celtics insert in Marcus Smart, Marcus Morris, and suddenly Gordon Hayward's coming off the bench. And what happens? Well, he has that big 30-point game about a week ago. And tonight, 19 points in 18 minutes. He has looked closer and closer and closer to the Gordon Hayward of old. And it's obvious there's still a lot of room for improvement with his athleticism. He's not quite all the way back yet. But even Gordon Hayward at 75% where he is right now, he's still a very effective basketball player. Matter of fact, the guy that he is right now, I feel like he could be this team's Manu Ginobili. Mm -hmm. And that's not a role that you want to sort of – you don't poo-poo that role. That is a legit role on a championship team. Now, if if you got a rookie coming into the league and you tell that rookie you can be a starter or you can have a long NBA career akin to Manu Ginobili, Manu Ginobili is a borderline Hall of Famer when this thing's all said and done. Mm-hmm. You know, without Manu Ginobili, I'm not sure the Spurs have that sustained, prolonged period of championship success. He was that key to that team. Right. Legit six man of the year candidate, you're in and you're out. Is this are we looking at the evolution of Gordon Hayward's game? Because to me, he looks very, very comfortable in this role coming off the bench. But if you notice, when the games are close, he's still a guy that finishes the games in the fourth quarter. Right, and that's the you know genius of, or whatever you want to call it, uh, the, that, that's the, the, the mindset of Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens doesn't have a set lineup to close the to close out games it's all about how you do throughout the span of 48 minutes and if he's playing at a high level and he's contributing and the and the game is you know a two-point margin you're gonna see gordon hayward out there and we also have to give credit to what gordon hayward has been able to do to to accept this role i mean he's pretty much not only accepted it but it was almost like he saw it coming and you see how marcus smart is producing on the defensive end and what he means offensively and he's like okay look i get it he's doing his thing I can take a step back. I can do my thing coming off the bench, and look what's happening. It's it's worked out, right? Look at someone like Jalen Brown. Do you see Gordon Hayward saying the type of things that Jalen Brown is saying right now? Could you imagine if Gordon Hayward had a Jackie McMullen piece where he's talking about how, oh, I'm going to prove to Kyrie Irving and, and the rest of my teammates that I'm going to be in the starting lineup? No, because it's working. You're playing at a high level, and I'm talking about Gordon Hayward, right? Or same thing goes for, for Jalen Brown throughout that stretch. You're playing at a high level, and the team is winning, and the starting lineup looks terrific. Why are you complaining, or why are you saying, like, oh, I need to make this goal for myself because this is the hardest thing I've had to deal with since I've been in the NBA? I mean, everyone is winning. Everyone is 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 performing well. Why is this even a conversation? Just wait. That was what we call that's a That's a – professional radio transition right now into a great a great subject because I saw what I did there huh? it's, it was well done I mean you've been doing this a while apparently huh? so when we look at Gordon Hayward we look at Jalen Brown again I, I think I said this before but it's worth repeating uh, a lot of people on the surface if you're not an NBA junkie like you and I and have had a history of watching Gordon Hayward with the Jazz over the years you look at him you think that you know, he's a shooter. You know, maybe you look at him the way that Bomani Jones looks at him. You know, but he's not just a shooter. Uh, when he was at his peak with the Jazz, he's a freakishly athletic 
guy that can cut to the basket at will, good defensive guy, above-the-rim type player, a gunner offensively, with a bit of that Kobe killer mentality. And that's really how he was evolving with the Jazz. He's that good uh, when he's right. I think because he shares a similar size, a similar position on the floor, and a similar role or projected role to a guy like Jalen Brown, there's a little bit of conflict there between those two. And the one takeaway that I have from this eight-game winning streak is throughout the course of this winning streak, you've had guys sort of filter in and out. You had uh, two guys in in uh, Gordon Hayward go down with a, a, an illness. Jalen Brown missed time with an illness. You've got uh, Al Horford out with the knee tendonitis right now. So I think it's been a little bit easier, actually, when you look at a guy like Brad Stevens because he doesn't have to juggle everybody in and out. He, he sort of known that he's going to be a little bit shorthanded, which means he doesn't have to deal with who's going to start and, and you know how many minutes can I give Jalen versus how many minutes can I give Gordon Hayward. I think at some point here, I'm not sure, and maybe I hope I'm wrong because I like both players. I think they both bring a lot to the table. But I think ultimately here, as Hayward continues to evolve and continues to get healthier, the two, their two games, meaning Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward, they're going to sort of meet in the middle here. And, and at some point, we're going to see that Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown are actually relatively similar players mm. when they're on the floor together with the rest of their teammates. They fill a very similar role. Mm. Is Jalen a better athlete? Sure is. Is he a better defensive player? Yep. But I think overall, when you combine the fact that Gordon Hayward's not going anywhere, He's got a mega contract, fourth richest in the league. He's got, what, three years left in the deal after this year. He's somebody that's just not going anywhere. He's virtually untradeable until he can prove that he can return to Utah jazz form game in and game out. Nobody's going to consider bringing on that sort of deal. Is there enough room on this team, Josue, for both of these guys to not only have a role, but for both of these guys to thrive on the Boston Celtics this year? Yes, but... It's going to take Jalen Brown to take a tremendous step back. And I, I just have a difficult – I don't – I can't foresee him saying, okay, you know what, I'll I'll take less touches. I'll take on this role of being the defensive, you know, like we talked about before the season. Remember, you, you asked me, if Jalen Brown is a success, what kind of role do you see him carving out for himself? Yep. 3 and D. Why can't he be a 3 and D guy? Because and, – and, and listen, and obviously there's not – you, when I say that, I'm not saying, like, okay, look, all of your points have to come from behind the arc. I'm saying a 3 and D guy who can get to the rim and get to the free throw line. Sure. But for the most part, if you can master that shot, if you can go back to being the playoff Jalen Brown, shooting over 42 44% from, the, from behind the arc, high-level defensive stopper, that's your role. But high-level Jalen Brown didn't have to contend with having Gordon Hayward on his team because Gordon Hayward was home rehabbing. And I've yet to see uh, – more than one game. So we've yet to see consecutive games this year where both of these guys have played, have played 20-plus minutes, and have both thrived on the floor. It's always been one or the other. you know. And, and again, more often uh, lately, it's been Gordon Hayward. His game continues to improve. You can see the confidence developing. Uh, the way that he's shooting the three all of a sudden – He's a little bit more lift in those legs than there was to start mm, the season. It's oh, no, oh, sorry. no longer front-rimming those things. Yep, you know, yep. They're finding their way over the rim now, right. and that tells you he's getting his legs. I wonder if every time that, that Gordon Hayward goes out there and he gets closer to the old Gordon Hayward, is that kind of a kick in the balls to Jalen Brown? Does he take it like personally that every time Gordon Hayward thrives, 
it's at the expense of Jalen Brown's minutes. I think he does because that's the point I'm going to get into. It's it, everything that you just mentioned that's it, spot on, but it's also the fact that I think he overlooked his playmaking abilities. Like Gordon Hayward, in my opinion, doesn't have to have the ball a lot to be effective. But because he's constantly moving, because he's able to create for other players, for his for other teammates, yep. it kind of forces him to have the ball more than you know what I'm saying? Like I feel like the the touches for Jalen slow down when he's on the floor. And because of that and because the Celtics are being successful because of the the way Gordon's been able to perform off the bench, it leaves Jalen Brown short. He's not getting the same amount of touches. The games that he's put together, the big time games, the 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 three games, and when he came back, you know, the starting lineup was already set in stone, and he came back and he was averaging twenty one points. Gordon Hayward wasn't in the mix. He was sick. He was sick. Exactly. That's when he got those touches. That's when he got those opportunities to perform at a high level. And I'm talking about just scoring. But I don't blame Jalen Brown, Jaylen Brown. at a high level without just being a scorer. He can do other things. But I don't think he's so crazy about that i think he wants to be that 20 point scorer he wants to return to the starting lineup he wants things to be like what he saw throughout last year's postseason and it's just not going to happen but last year's postseason and here's what jalen doesn't realize and there was evidence that he didn't realize this going all the way back a couple of months ago now to the winning five out of the six next championships comment that he made uh you know Mm. he said a few things that are a bit eyebrow raising you know, I think working out with Tracy McGrady for a couple of weeks this offseason, maybe, that what it was. maybe he got that Gunner's <laughs> mentality in his head, you know. But I, Tracy McGrady, one of his biggest regrets, I'm sure, throughout his career is the inability to win a championship. I mean, he's latching on at the very end. He's barely mm-hmm. mobile with the uh, with the Spurs just to contend for a championship. And if he just waited one more year, he would have he he, he got that championship, got that right? Ring, yeah. You know, so yeah. what if you're in a wheelchair at that point? You know, you still get that <laughs> ring. ring. Ring's a ring. You yep. still get that yep. ring. It's on your resume. Aaron Baines has got that ring, so you still That's get right. that ring. Right. You know, so you look at you look at this team and you look at Jalen Brown and the question really becomes how long do you give this thing so now the Celtics are what 28 games into their season uh you're about 13 games away from the halfway point you've yet to come up with a way to to make this chemistry work make this chemistry effective with Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward living well together thriving on the floor together and I look at this and I say to myself there really isn't a solution here because to your point Jalen's not going to take that step back Jalen knows he had success last year in the playoffs uh, and he had success this year when Gordon Hayward wasn't able to play so why the hell would he want to change his role when he's capable of so much more I wouldn't be surprised if at some point here in the next 30 days he marches into Danny's office I don't think that he will publicly demand a trade I don't think he will do anything to embarrass the team to uh, take the focus away from the team he won't become a distraction but I see him absolutely having a conversation with Danny Ainge about wanting to go somewhere else where he can live up to his potential. Why be held back here through no fault of his own? 100% agree with you. Yes, definitely. I can absolutely see that. And that could be something we see in the next two to three weeks. Because let's face it, if he's not... Okay, put it this way. Can this team compete for a championship without Jalen Brown? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's people waiting to take those minutes. Are, I mean, are, are they any so, lesser? Oh, here's a better question: Are they any lesser of a championship contender without Jalen Brown? No, that, no, that's the point, right? It's the next man up mentality. I mean, Brad Stevens already implemented that system, and we've seen it happen. We saw five guys who were part of the rotation 
not play and other guys step up. You tell me someone like Shemi Ojale, who works his ass off night in and night out, wouldn't want those minutes, wouldn't step into that 3 and D role and thrive in it? Of course he, he would. He would embrace it. He would be he would grateful for it. it. Right. Whereas Jalen Brown, if he doesn't see things change within the near future, he he's going to want a way out. But the problem is Danny Ainge isn't going to make a trade just to make a trade. And he's not going to do that with someone like Jalen Brown. If he's not getting what he wants or anywhere near what he wants on the other end of that deal, see you later, Jalen Brown. You're just going to sit on the bench and rot whether you accept your role or not. And that's just a, that's the harsh reality, Patrick, at the end of the day. And that's obviously worst-case scenario if we're talking about a way of seeing Jalen Brown, you know, uh, accept the role on a championship contending team. But that's that's the truth, right? But, Am I wrong? If that happens, it happens. And we're going to see him sulk on the end of the bench. And that's going to be it. That'll be the story of Jalen Brown until the offseason, of course, until Danny Ainge can come up with the type of deal that he thinks is best for this team that he agrees with. Well, here's the thing. It comes down to this. Jalen Brown is, uh, what, a, a third-year guy now. He's still in his rookie deal. And Jalen Brown, unfortunately, when you're on a rookie deal and you've got to match salaries in the NBA, when you think about potentially trading Jalen Brown, if you're trying to go player for player, you got to be bringing back another guy, essentially, either a low-paid veteran or another guy on a rookie deal. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work out. So the only way that Jalen Brown potentially is traded is as part of a larger package where he is the centerpiece, and then you're including an Al Horford or somebody yeah. else yeah. to make the money work for a, a player that could upgrade this team. But see, that's the thing. That, that's why I don't see Danny Ainge making He's the trade. He's not going to. No, because he's, in his mind, he's... He's thinking about you know you know who you know the it's the, Anthony Davis exactly exactly he's not going to give up that asset now when you in six know months the he could in cash the room. in exactly he's not going to give up someone like Jalen Brown where that could be the the deal breaker for someone like Anthony Davis the, the the piece that goes along with the Sacramento pick that goes along with I don't know I'm just throwing this out there a sign and trade Rozier you know what I mean like he's the the missing piece if he's the missing piece of a deal like that Danny is not going to just sell him for uh, a, a veteran looking to latch on to a championship contending team. He's just not Trevor Ariza. A Trevor Ariza. Yeah. Or uh, you talked about, you know, Kyle Korver before that deal happened. Someone like that. He's not going to make a deal like that, for, for uh, including Jalen Brown. I can't envision a scenario where Danny Ainge watches Jalen thrive somewhere else, put it that way, and exactly. getting back nothing in return. Exactly. And just yeah. sitting there saying, like, oh, good for him. We let him go. No, no, that's just not how Danny works. And you know what's interesting, too? Remember last season, around this time, remember the relationship between him and Jason Tatum? Remember how it was like, oh, yeah, they're best buds. They got their lockers next to each other, and, you know, they're always hanging out, and they're like, you know, the cornerstones. Yep. They're going to bridge the gap into the next generation. This is this is great. This is amazing. You know, not only you know are we excited to see what they do on the court, but they're, they're buddies. They're best friends. How many times has Jason Tatum talked about Jalen Brown this year? Not much. Not much. What happened to that? I, I think that, you know, Jalen Brown, for all of the positive attributes that he has, and he is. He's a brilliant guy. He's well-read. He's well-spoken. He's caring. He's concerned. He is a guy that has dedicated his body to his craft. I mean, there's not enough positive things I can say about this kid. But I think the one thing that could potentially hurt him, and it's not his fault. It's He's young. He's immature. And every time he goes through something, he's going through it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like he's got a little bit of a jealousy streak in him where he doesn't want to watch other guys thrive. Imagine Jalen Brown being the guy last year. When you heard Gordon Hayward talk about when the Celtics started reeling off that 16-game winning streak, about halfway through it, he wanted to see them lose because he's thinking to himself, they're doing this without me. They're mm-hmm. supposed to need me. Yep, yep. And then he got over it. He, he was mature. He's 27 years old. He's been through the grind before, and he wound up using it as a, a motivating tool. Jalen Brown doesn't have that maturity level yet where he could potentially use this as a motivating tool to sort of fuel his fire to make himself better. 
I find, I, I kind of see Jalen Brown as the guy that might sulk and get jealous and, and really he could become a distraction. And that's my fear here. That's what I'm, that's the, yeah, we're on the same page, Patrick. <laughs> we're on the exact same page. <laughs> you know what else too? In his mind, he's like, okay, you know what? Gordon Hayward is a good chance. You know, he's going to get his role right, right away. He'll be a starter. You know, I'll maybe be the sixth man. Maybe I'll crack that lineup. I'd love, you know, in my mind, if I don't, if I take a step back because of the injuries, so be it. I'll get my spot back. He didn't think Marcus Morris was, would go off the way he did. Okay, that's fine. I'll give I'll get my starting spot back while Gordon Harry works his way back. Shit, Marcus Smart took my spot. Okay, <laughs> it's one thing if Gordon Hayward's gonna take my starting spot, but Marcus Smart. Took, I'm better than Marcus Smart. I'm talking like I'm yeah. Dylan Brown, right? I'm better than Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart wasn't the go-to guy in the playoffs last season. Marcus Smart wasn't the guy that can go off at 30 points on any given night. This is the way Jalen Brown thinks about himself. And he's right in one respect that Jalen Brown, if he's playing Marcus Smart one-on-one, he's going to beat him. Exactly. But Marcus Smart brings every intangible that Jalen Brown doesn't bring. Exactly. Completely changes the identity of that starting lineup and is the biggest difference maker in this eight-game winning streak. The reason why this team isn't anywhere near 500 team that they were before the streak. The 10-10 and record is like, that feels like it was three months ago, and a lot of that has to do with Marcus Smart. All right, before we get out of here, there's one guy we haven't mentioned that has earned a spot on the program. It's the rookie man, Robert Williams. Again, a product of injuries, a product of uh, circumstance. You've had Al Horford out with his knees. You've had Gershon Yabuselli out with a sprained ankle. Aaron Baines out with a sprained ankle. So what do you do? You go to the next man up. It's the rookie, and the rookies come through. That that first game, what do you have? Seven points, uh, three blocks, and five rebounds in, in a few minutes of play. Then he does it again with you know five and three and two. And he's a guy now with five block shots in the game on uh, on Friday night. He's somebody that I feel like even when all the aforementioned centers, power forwards on this team are back and healthy, I feel like he's earned a bit of a role here. Whether that role is six minutes, eight minutes, 12 minutes, I don't think that his minutes are going to be dependent on whether the guys in front of him are healthy or not now. He's got to get out there. Yeah. The kid has proven that he can at least defend and block shots at the NBA level. He's got to get his reps. You know, I, I loved um, the opportunity he, he received against the Wizards. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. A little bit of me was kind of happy. Tice fouled out. <laughs> Tice fouled out. I early, love Tice. Early in the way. fourth quarter. No, I do. I mean, he was Tice. Yeah. Guy. I mean, he had an amazing game Friday yeah. night as well. He, you know, scored over 20 points. This guy's pulling up from the, behind a three-point arc like, it was, like, like he was Jason Tatum. It's ridiculous. I mean, he was what the German Larry Bird is what, is what I <laughs> When Danny Ainge signed him. That is what we heard, right? When Danny Ainge signed him, that's what the people in Germany said. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I was happy because I said, look, this is a great opportunity for him. And Brad Stevens allowed it, you know. It was, it was early in the fourth quarter, just enough time for him to get in there, play four, four minutes or so, meaningful minutes in the game that obviously went to overtime, and he delivered. Uh, deflections. Blocks, obviously, is, energy. is a plus. Energy. He just changes everything when he hits the floor. And guys, you're starting to see, a, you're starting to see hesitation from opponents. That's exactly what you want in the middle. When's the last time we had someone in the middle like that? Kevin Garnett. I mean, like, essentially, am, am I wrong? I'm not exaggerating here. You're n- you're not. And, and someone look- who could strike fear. And, and guys who who are trying to attack the attack, attack the rim. I mean, that's that's what he's doing right now. I mean, KG the the ceiling might not be KG, but no, no, but, but the ceiling but the ceiling could very well be Clint Capella. And, and yes. Clint Capella's carved like out a that. great role in the NBA. I like that. Yep. And he brought energy. He brought rebounding, block shots, and he get he gets a decent amount of offense just because he plays so close to the basket. Bob Williams. And I love the fact that there Bob is Williams. this chemistry being developed right now between uh, between. Williams and, and Kyrie Irving. I love the fact that the the veteran leader of this team, the All Star, mm-hmm. you know the the 
franchise cornerstone piece, the transformative talent, yep. has sort of embraced get, making sure the rook gets opportunities. He's co-signed to, it. uh, Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And it's good for this team's sort of morale and chemistry. Mm-hmm. But at some point here, do you think he's going to put himself in a position where he blows past one of these guys on the depth chart and he becomes a 20-minute-a-night guy? Is that possible this year? Um... I think it's unlikely, honestly. I, I just think that he's having these opportunities and he's going to thrive in them. But if as soon as Horford comes back, he'll we we may see him go back to Maine, and that's not a bad thing because I, I think you want him to get those twenty five, thirty minutes, whether it's in Maine, you know, it doesn't really matter. You just want him to constantly get that confidence, and then come playoff time, who knows? You know, who knows? He he can get meaningful minutes, whether it's twelve to to, to thirteen. Whether it's you know that translates to six rebounds and two blocks a night and and, and eight points, that's solid production coming from your second unit, coming from a a, a a rookie who pretty much everyone expected that would be in Maine all season long. Uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but if that's this, what we do here. It, it is what we do <laughs> here on the Banner 18 podcast. We named it after <laughs> the next banner here, so that, that is the definition of getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> this podcast name, the origin is pretty much getting ahead of yourself. So exactly. uh, let's fast forward to June and, and it's Celtics Warriors. <laughs> In the finals, I feel like a guy like Robert Williams is a guy that could play a huge role in a series like that because of the pace that the Warriors play at. And you think about a guy like Horford or think about a guy like Aaron Baines, you think about a guy even like a Tice, they're all athletic enough, but they don't play at that frenetic pace that the Warriors can play at. Mm. And I look at Robert Williams, and I think to myself, he's going to be the first one down the floor in the defensive exactly. end. I look at a guy like Steph Curry. He, he's going to want no part of that little floater going into the lane with Robert Williams in there. And I feel like the Celtics could wreak havoc with Steph Curry if you've got Marcus Smart defending him out at the three-point line, and then you've got Robert Williams waiting for him in the paint. Yeah. So it, that's just something it's a great image. that I allow myself to think about <laughs> when I'm having those private moments. You and know what I mean? a big smile comes on your face. Yeah, <laughs> I, see I can see it right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It, it would relieve Horford of, of, that du- of those duties. You know, like Horford, he worked his ass off last postseason. He had to do a lot on both ends of the floor. And if you were able to, you know, uh, relieve him of his defensive duties a bit here and there, you're giving him more energy offensively, you know, what he's able to do. And, of course, more energy on, on the other end, you know. Yeah, I can see it. All right, one more for me, and you brought him up. It's Al Horford. Uh, Al Horford played a legit heroic role in, in the playoffs last year. We know what he's capable of. We know that nobody knows his role on this team better than Al Horford. Uh, we know what a consummate pro he is. We know the reason why he can average 12-7 and seven and make an all-star team. And we know that that you and I are both Horford fans. Despite the numbers, we we embrace what he brings to this mm-hmm. team. Uh, Felger and Maz this week, twice this week, they bring up, uh, because the Celtics are thriving without him, they introduce the topic that the Celtics don't need Al Horford anymore. Oh, They're just boy. as good without Hor- Horford. That now, train's never late, Patrick. Huh? That train always just comes and it's unbelievable. comes by every year. Huh? So, so the question for you really is, is it just people that don't watch the games it, that think that Al Horford is this dispensable piece here on this team? Because, yeah, have they thrived without him right now? Sure. But when you want to introduce into the conversation the level of competition, I have no problem with being critical of the Celtics because of the level of competition that they've faced. But they've blown away the competition for the most part. So that sort of does away with that argument. But then you want to introduce into the equation, well, the Celtics are winning, and they're winning big without Al Horford, so why do you need the guy? That's where the level of your competition comes into play. Mm-hmm. You can get by these left, these lesser teams without a guy like Al Horford. Where you need Al Horford is 
the end of April through mid-June. Mm-hmm. You know, that, right. that's where his value yeah. really shines through. So, I mean, it's got to be frustrating for you, whether it's talking to your colleagues out there, listening to fans, listening to the radio, listening to, to amateurs, essentially spew to hundreds of thousands of people that the Celtics are equally as good, maybe even better, without Al Horford on the team. It's ridiculous because you're unable to see the consistency and, and the, the what he means defensively and how it resonates throughout his teammates. I mean, like you said, if you're not watching the games, you don't see that in the box score. And this is... <laughs> I have to like break this down now. This is the like one of probably the only sport where that that rings true, right? In baseball, you see the runs, you see the production, everything is kind of there for you. In basketball, things are in between the lines. You look at someone like Marcus Smart, you're not gonna say you look at his stat line or you, his his numbers, and you're like, hey, this guy's all right. Like, no, he's not all right. He's he's great. <laughs> he's good. He's solid. He's the reason why the Celtics were able to you know sustain this this high level of success. Al Horford, without Al Horford, the Celtics get bounced out of the first round last year. Yep. Without Al Horford, the the first couple of months here, this team goes below 500. You know, it's almost like the people who are like, oh, well, this team could win without Kyrie Irving, you know, because they did it a few times. Yeah, so what? Is that going to get you past, you know, a, a seven round in, in, a, in a best of seven series against the, the Warriors? Or <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm glad you brought that the up. The Raptors or, you know what I mean? Like, it's ridiculous. It was the same idiot that brought up that conversation last year oh, was when, when Scary Terry was at the height of his powers. You don't need Kyrie. You don't need Kyrie anymore. Yeah. And then game seven happens and you realize the value of a Kyrie, the value of a guy like Gordon Hayward, guys that can create their own shot. The guys that can slow down the uh, the momentum of a game by drawing a foul, getting to the free throw line. That's why the Celtics let the game get away from them in the closing minutes of Game 7 last year. They didn't have that guy that could slow down the momentum that the Cavaliers built up. That's what Paul Pierce was so good at. Mm-hmm. You know, you yep. get to the free throw line, everybody calms down, put a couple of points on the board, and you get right back in the game. Right. Celtics didn't have that guy. They had everybody out behind the three-point line shooting threes because it worked all season. Yeah. It doesn't work in those moments. Yeah, someone like Irving, the guy who delivered a championship for the Cavaliers, <laughs> their first championship. That's a great point. Paul Pierce, the guy who went toe-to-toe with LeBron James. We were talking no O-way championship if you don't have a closer like that. Right. Just look at what Kyrie Irving did the other night against the Wizards. It was a closer. Man. Defined closer. Back-to-back threes right in John Wall's face. Like, there's nothing he could have done to stop that. When you have someone like that on your side, it makes all the difference. That's what will put an end to... You know, uh, is this team going to make it to the NBA Finals? But when you have someone like Kyrie Irving, a closer like that on that level, Celtics will get to the Finals. Whether they get past the Warriors or not, they don't have a shot if Kyrie Irving's not there. Josue Pavone, are the Celtics back? Yes. So that 10-10 and 10 start was just, it's whatever it was, whatever the reasons were for it, it's in the past, it's over. The Celtics are the team who we thought they were. Yes, this team's back. Um Toronto's going to be tough in, in the sense of Eastern Conference standings, but come playoff time, yeah, they'll be fine. Please, the playoffs are Toronto's kryptonite. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to freak out when Toronto wins sixty-four games and, and wins first place. And then... yeah, Nick Nurse, you're in for a surprise. You'll see. You'll All right, see. This is... You'll see how Kyle uh, Lowry does. You know, <laughs> when, when the when the when the lights start really shining. Yeah. You better hope that, uh, that that Kawhi doesn't have a hang now. You know, he, he wants to get paid. <laughs> All right, this you don't is... think he'll be laughing the way he did before the season, right? Yeah, you'll see. This has been the Banner 18 podcast. And listen, uh, when this thing hits the website, hits wei.com, hits Twitter, uh, I've got a question for the listeners. So tweet back at it, respond. It's as simple as this. So 
the the show is divided up between four of us, believe it or not. So it's Josue and myself doing the bulk of the work. Then once a month, you've got Rich Keefe and Jason Rossi, uh, and they're coming in and doing their thing. So with All-Star break about six, seven weeks away, would the fans like some sort of a four-person roundtable where all four of us get in here, we record something together, get Keefe's thoughts, get get Rossi's thoughts, and then, of course, you guys, you know you know our thoughts. We, we come in here every week and do our thing. But is, is that something worth doing, or is it something that you guys want no part of? Whichever one wins out, that's what we'll do. So if you guys want it, we'll deliver it. If you don't want it, we'll walk away. But uh, for Josue Pavone, my name is Patrick Gilroy. This has been Episode 4 of the Banner 18 Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Until then, bye-bye. That was great, man.